I'm Billy Hollowell, and welcome to the Prodigal Stories podcast, a show where Trey Goins Phillips and I take you through some of the most important and powerful stories of the day, stories of hope, transformation, and intrigue. On today's show, we welcome Helen Smallbone. Helen is the matriarch of the Smallbone family. She is the mother of singer Rebecca St. James and of singers Luke Smallbone and Joel Smallbone. They make up the band, of course, for King and Country. She has an incredible story to share with us of overcoming the odds, trusting God, and marveling at the phenomenal ways in which he has blessed her family. So with no further ado, let's welcome Helen Smallbone to the Prodigal Stories podcast. Helen, thanks so much today for coming down. It's a pleasure. It's lovely to be here. All right, we have a lot to talk about because <laughs> you have a very fascinating family, and we're going to get into that. People know your family. They know who you guys are, but you're opening up a really unique lens into your family's life. Yep. And, you know, you guys came from Australia. We did. To America. Hope you can still tell I've got a little bit of accent. I love, I love that accent. Do we have an accent to you? Do people like it, That's a funny scenario because when we're in America, no, you probably don't have an accent unless it's like really south or really New York or whatever, but no, not really. But then when we go back to Australia, I can't tell if the first up it's shocking because they're like well, everybody sounds oh, so Australian. And then I can't tell if someone's Australian or American because they both sound normal to me. It's it's just weird. That's how so your mind interesting. Goes. It is interesting how your mind just gets used to it. Mm-hmm. Anyway, that's not why we're here, but I wanted to know. <laughs> I had to ask you. Um, you have a new book, Behind the Lights. We're going to get into that. Um, but you guys were in Australia. You had a business, uh-huh. and things kind of fell apart a little bit. So take me through that story and what made you say we're going to go to America. We actually had three doors closed. Um, David had spent 15 years approximately in Christian music in Australia, and he did the gamut of Christian music. He would do concerts, he had a record label, he would um, market and distribute um, uh, records too in Australia. And um, we actually had a concert tour uh, that was one of the biggest that he had done. Uh, The people just didn't turn out. They were down, I think, 25% on what his expectations were. And when he brought an artist internationally into Australia, he would do two weeks, sometimes a bit longer, of the whole of Australia. He would promote to every city in Australia, the major cities. And so he knew he was going to lose his shirt on this one. And we ended up losing about a quarter of a million dollars, which in 1988 was a lot lot of money. money. And he knew he wasn't going to trade out. And so he had a couple of other things in the back of his mind. He had... um, he, was, he had recognised that praise and worship music had, was different, sort of coming from Australia, and so he suggested um, to a local uh, church that he um, help them record their music and that he would put it out. And uh, on his 40th birthday, that door closed. They said, well, you know, we don't need you anymore. And that was the second door that closed. And then the third, um, the third door that closed was um, we'd had good relate because he brought people over to Australia and spent so much time with them, Christian artists. He had really good relationships with them, and then there was a really good relationship he had with Carmen. And uh, he had suggested to Carmen that he go and move to Tulsa and help manage him and market him, and then set up a, a praise and worship label for Carmen, and he would manage that. Um, that label 
And then um, Carmen actually, we came over to America. We looked at Tulsa as a place to live. Um, Carmen actually bought our um, tickets, all our tickets, when we were a family with six kids at that time. Um, he bought our tickets to come over and then about a month to two months before we were due to leave, he said he didn't want him anymore. And that was the third door that closed. Wow. So and here it, you are planning this whole new life in another country with six children. <laughs> yes. And then that door closes. That door closes. And at that point, I mean, obviously, he, he there was nothing else. I mean, he was going to have to dramatically change careers, maybe do real estate, something that he was just going to be earning money for. And David is very passionate and he's also very, um, he really wants to make a difference and music is is his lifeblood. Um, not necessarily playing it, but just music, you know, and so, and marketing and promotion. So he then came to America, he, he spoke to me and said, so what do you think about if we were to go to America still, but maybe do something different? And I was like, well, there's not really any other opportunities here. So, and, and he had said to me, which was a significant statement, I can't keep doing this in our small marketplace with the expenses so high, bringing people down from America. I'm, gonna, I, I'm just going to die. I'm only as good as my last tour, you know. And so that in the back of my mind realised, well, gosh, he's got all these gifts, but the market can't sustain it. Um, that America was sort of the land of opportunity, which a lot of people see it as. And so he did get another job, um, and we used Carmen's tickets. We did not return the tickets. We used <laughs> Carmen's tickets to actually get us over here. So, so you still got over here on Carmen's still tickets. Got here okay. Carmen's All right. Tickets. He said, That's your deposit. I mean, I've changed my lifestyle. Kids are out of school. I've sold my house. Um, we've thinned down our possessions in order to come. And that's your non-refundable yeah. deposit. Yeah, no, that seems which, fair to me. Which, which Carmen had viewed it necessarily that way. But <laughs> <laughs> anyway, we've, 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 Carmen knows we're very thankful. Oh, well, he's, he's passed yes. on now, but he did know before he passed on that we're very grateful to him yeah. for uh, uh, actually sort of getting us here. Well, so, yeah, it's, you know, God does things in really mysterious and interesting that's ways. It. And so you come over so. here, right? Yep. And you have six. Now, you had seven kids. You have well, seven kids. Well, I was pregnant when I came. Wow. You were pregnant with your seventh child when you came. Okay. So you come here. Now, is it true you homeschooled all Uh seven kids? Uh How in the world Uh did you homeschool seven kids? They don't have a great education. (laughs) (laughs) I can't can't picture homeschooling my two kids. No. Yeah. Wow. Um, I had a, we we had a good family friend um, who a few years before we came over, so probably about 1986, had taken his seven children out of the school system in Australia. And he always liked to live counter the culture. And I respected him for being brave enough to go against culture. And so in my conversations with him, uh, in why he did it, the differences he noticed in the family and whatever, I realised it was something that uh, intrigued me. So when we were due to leave to come for Carmen, we were due to leave in about the April of um, 1991... And um, I, I said to David, if we're going to be leaving in April, the school year in Australia starts sort of at the end of January, early February, we're going to put our kids in a Christian school, which they were in. Living, we lived a fairly normal life. We put them in a Christian school for two months, and then some other poor kid is going to have to start when we leave. 
and I just don't think that's very fair. And I said to him, what about if I try homeschooling? And he said, they'll drive you crazy. <laughs> Did they? <laughs> um, I mean, obviously there are moments. <laughs> but I said, well, no better way to find out than now. Because if yeah. they drive me crazy, then when we get settled to where we're going, we will, I'll, I'll, I'll have experimented. And, and you'll know. And I'll yeah. know. Well, we lived in a pretty small suburban block um, and life, we were in a rental. And I, when I first, so when I first brought the kids home, the older one, particularly our oldest son, would look at his younger brothers because we have bookend girls. Well, we have bookend girls now, but then we only had one girl and five boys. And he'd look at his little brothers and he'd be like, oh, do I have to play with them, you know? <laughs> and then eventually over a few months when he realised there wasn't anybody yeah, this else this is all you got, buddy. This is it. Like- then I noticed that the rules for cricket, which was what they were playing in the backyard, were changing to accommodate the younger children. And I thought, you know what? This is what life's really about. Working around our differences to find common ground and commonality. And once I saw that sort of change happening, I was like, you know what? I like this. When we got to settled in America, it was September. The school year had just started. And I, I just could not have said goodbye to those kids. I mean, we were, at this point, we were living hand to mouth. We knew we had nothing much behind us financially. We no family anymore, minimal friends. Um, work acquaintances but that was about it Uh, settled into a new suburb and I just said to David I can't I can't send the kids to school I need them let alone what they're facing I said please you're in a new country I mean it's a whole new world it's a whole new world world. whole new culture and so I said can we homeschool at least for another year and then by then we recognized very strongly how much it had unified us how much we enjoyed each other's company and so it just continued. So the music aspect of this story is really interesting because the music is what brought you over. True. At yes. what point do you realize, I mean, every one of your kids has a unique ability mm-hmm. to do something in the arts. I don't know of another family that has that many. I mean, your daughter's Rebecca St. James yeah. for King and Country is made up of your two sons, yes. right? I mean, this is, and you have a filmmaker son. And you yes. ha- I mean, this is, when did you start to realize that, wow, there's actually something going on here. There are gifts here. Um, we probably realized Rebecca's gifts before we left Australia. Um, in the Christian school she was in, they had a rock band that was sort of an outreach rock band. And basically it was for the senior kids to be involved with. Um, but Rebecca tried out as a 13-year-old and actually managed to get into the rock band as one of the singers. Wow. And then the music teacher who was auditioning them actually got her then into a studio to record some of his his songs and the songs that were being written, you know, praise and worship music, whatever. And so we'd seen that recognition outside of us, which was important. And then she had an opportunity to actually do... Australia protects its own. And so Australia um, had and probably still has a rule that you have to have an Australian Support Act for any international artist, Carmen never travelled, had support acts. It was just Carmen. And so, but that didn't rec- that didn't fulfil the Australian Musicians Union's Oh, that's uh, interesting. Okay. So David said to him, you know, Rebecca's been singing at school and I think she's pretty, you know, she's not doing too badly. You, you, you enjoy hanging out with the family. What about we bring Rebecca out at 13 to do three openers? 
and that'll be it and she'll go on the tour with us. Well Carmen saw that as some light-hearted entertainment and so we did a tour in March of 1991 with Rebecca doing three songs as opener. Wow so that was kind of the beginning that was of the that. Beginning. What was it like for you you went through these struggles you came to America now we flash forward and you've got children who are on an international stage yeah. sharing the gospel yeah. you know I mean they could have gone into secular music they, they stayed in they're sharing the gospel huge acts what is that like as the mother of those children and when you think about all the steps you guys took and where you ended up as you reflect on that I uh, I don't think David or I have ever been enamored by the stage I think the stage requires particularly for Christians is a very deceptive place to be having people applaud you, look at you, build you up. There's a great responsibility that comes with that. And we'd always encouraged Rebecca to finish strong um, because we'd seen... The music business is actually harder on women than it is on men. Oh, for sure. Yes. Rebecca was a solo artist, hard... You know, you tick the levels of hardness and you're going down the line. You know, it was hard. She did it for a long period of time. She finished strong. Was she hurt? In the process, was she tired? Definitely. Yes, yes. Did she ever lose her faith in God? No. She finished strong. So for me, growing up, when I met David, we were around artists. Then we brought all the artists to Australia. The stage, to me, has to be kept in proportion. It has to be kept into real life, or else it'll destroy your soul. Like, it'll, it'll destroy you. Um, and so I don't look at the stage as any different to somebody having a job of going to the hospital and sure. being a doctor or a lawyer. Realistically, or it shouldn't be any different. No different, right? But but there is a great responsibility under God that you, because you have chosen a public format, that you honour God and finish strong, and that has been spoken about within the home to everybody. Is it scary at times? Yes, yeah. because Satan wants nothing left better than to destroy people who have a public profile, to destroy Christians. Absolutely, yeah. Um, and so, yes, I sometimes see a target on their heads. Um, and basically, as a mum and a matriarch, I went to David a couple of years ago, my husband, and said, David, you and I are now matriarch and patriarch of not only just our seven kids and six of them are married, we now have 13 grandchildren. I said, we are, you know, we're getting up there now. <laughs> um, and the best thing that our parents did for us was pray for us. And I said, we, as husband and wife, need to pray over this family every night. And so David and I pray every night for God's protection, for wisdom, for weaknesses we might see. Um, and we're diligently doing that because I felt... I, I felt and knew the prayers of my family, of my parents and David's mum, her mum and dad. It's interesting when you go back and you look at the fact that, you know, you poured so much into the kids, you made that decision to homeschool them, you saw the relationships changing, you built a framework that they were able to actually move forward and go onto those stages and do it in a way that honored God. I mean, you guys really built that, but it's not just something you do that one time and then you, oh, we're done now. You as adult parents... 
you're still praying through that. You're still guiding yes. them through it. I mean, you can see with your kids, like the films they've been involved, they've made, they've been involved in the music they make. I've interviewed them, you know, interacting with them. You see them living that out. And that must give you a sense of pride knowing that you, you guided them in the right direction. Yes, I feel very strongly God's faithfulness and goodness. I think it's very easy to look at the success that they are having, the, particularly for King Country now. Rebecca had a, a, a fair amount of success during her career. Um, I, I'm humbled um, because I know that I, I'm a very strong believer in servant leadership and I feel that they've got to serve in order to be uh, Christ-like. I'm very proud of them, but I also know that it's God's goodness and faithfulness that has got us to this place, and it's built on a foundation of brokenness. When David and I came to America, we were broken. I mean, we were broken. God, all those doors closing, losing everything, having to restart. David at the age of 42, having to restart. Um... And you sometimes forget. You can sometimes forget where you've come from, yeah. And just embrace where you are. But it's a journey that God has led us on. It's a journey of God's goodness. And frankly, I'm always reminding. I'm always. I'm living life, always looking for God's hand, because if God's, if you can see God's hand, then you know you're in His will. And if you're in His will, then you know. I don't know, even if it's hard, even if things look bad, even if there's failure, you know it's in his will and that he will bring good from it and that's his promise. And so even, frankly, the boys have been out doing music videos for their new album and they were sharing with with us as they were playing one of those songs, they were sharing about some um, things that had gone wrong, like equipment didn't arrive you know, there was a windstorm in a desert, you know, things that had gone wrong. And it touched me that said that their plans, the plans that they had had, when now that they've completed the music video, they knew wouldn't have worked. And God closed those doors, you know. And I just, so my job now is to remind them, see what God's doing. God was with you out there. When he shut that door that looked like a disaster, he was actually leading you to a better way. So my job now is in a way maybe to keep them a little grounded, um, to just remind them to look for God's hand. And, I, and that's just a privilege for me to be able to do that and to love on them. So last question and the important one, you know, why we're really here talking today is behind the lights, the extraordinary adventure of a mom and her family. What are you hoping people take away from this book? Um, if the book was to glorify either me, David, or my family, I would say I failed. The book's failed. The book is a story about brokenness and how God's restoration and what God taught us on the journey. So I've actually included um, very strongly sort of teaching elements through it, through our story, where I'm hoping to encourage other people on their life journey. Because I know a lot of us, God is calling us out of our comfort zones. I call it stepping out of the box, the box of cultural norm. And people are afraid because what if 
it doesn't look normal. It, and I'm sort of saying, no, it's not going to get any worse than moving to the other side of the country with six kids, being pregnant and having lost everything. It, you know, it's not going to get any worse. Yeah, that's pretty, yeah. That's yeah. pretty bottom. Yeah. And yet God was faithful. And he's given us and restored everything to us. And I've seen his hand not on just my life, but the family's lives. And I, I want to encourage people to trust him more. Thank you so much for your time today. It's great talking to you about this. Really appreciate it. That was Helen Smallbone. And man, there's so much to take away from that. I'm here with Trey Goins Phillips, as always, to break it down. Trey, what did you think of their like rags to riches story? I mean, they have quite the journey, right? I mean, to go from really nothing uh, whatsoever to be to hit brick wall after brick wall and still um, to still be hopeful and then to end up where they are now is just it's unbelievable. Well, and, you know, it, it goes to show you that you never know what God's going to do. Right. Because these people, you know, they come to America with nothing, not even a car, which is just so crazy to me. You've got all these kids and you're trying to forge your way in a new country with nothing. That is incredibly terrifying to me, the thought of that. Like, picture going to France right now with nothing. No money, no, you know, I don't know, like, or any country. No. And, you know, trying to, like, make your way. And it's really crazy to me that after that disappointment, that trust, to me that was sort of like the main ingredient in their story was having a trust in God, right, that just got them through. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, to think that as she, as Helen walked you through her story to see, uh, not just like the door casually close and like something, as something come to an end and it not work out, but these were three doors that were slammed in their faces. Um, so, you know, I think it would be easy to kind of give in to doubt and to question, is God really in control? Does he really have my best interest at heart? Um, you know, I think it, it would be completely, it is completely natural in our fallen you know, humanity um, to to go that way uh, in your head. Um, but instead, that, that they stayed true to what they believed, that they're like, look, we'll make it work some other way. And no one would have blamed them if, uh, like Helen said, her husband had just gone into real estate and they gave up music altogether. But they stayed committed to this because they felt this is something that God is calling us to. Um, and man, I mean, we're all called to kind of step into the darkness and to take a leap of faith, as the cliche saying goes. Uh, we're, you know, because God does have a plan, but He requires commitment from us. Uh, and to think that they, uh, they, this step was a huge step. I mean, they stepped in complete darkness across the right. world. Like, that's easy. Um, and that to me is just like, Wow, if that's not a leap of faith, I don't know what meets the definition for a leap but of faith. But also, like, let's just get real here. What family has so much talent? Like, they're bursting with talent. It's like, oh, Rebecca St. James, and oh, for King and Country, and filmmakers. And it's like, Helen, like, you were holding back here with these kids. They're all, they're all blessed with some crazy talent that they're living out on the national and international stage. And... That that's also amazing too, though, to see that this family has continued to honor God with those talents and what they've been able to do because that's a rarity too. First of all, like it's a rarity to have that many entertainers in one family. But second of all, to to really stick with truth and to honor the blessings your family's been given through the work you do, that part of the story to me was just like wow. And and then as a mom, 
to to be able to kind of look at your children and see that talent being recognized in them was pretty cool. Yeah. And you know, it's easy, I think, particularly in our culture where we are constantly obsessed with the younger generation. So it's, it's easy to, uh, to, to give all the accolades to uh, Forking Country and all of the accolades to Rebecca St. James and focus all of our praise on them. And that's not to say that they don't deserve praise. They're talented and they've both, uh, in, in their own ways, released uh, incredible music and have really contributed to the Christian music genre. So they definitely deserve praise, but they wouldn't be where they are had it not been for the persevering faith of their parents who laid the blueprint, who were consistently faithful to what they believed, and they lived out what they believed. I mean, they really paved the way spiritually for the success that their kids are now enjoying. This is the fruit of their parents' labor. Well, yeah, and I mean, you look at Proverbs, and it tells us that, you know, our children will not depart from the way which we've shown them. Even if they drift away, they're going to come back, and, you know, it doesn't seem like this family drifted at all. They just kind of plugged through and have lived that out. And it's, you know, I think I think for me, the big the biggest takeaway is that when life feels tough, when you feel downtrodden, when you're at your lowest point, that you have no idea what is coming next. And that is why we trust no matter what. Mm-hmm. Doesn't mean it's going to be easy. Doesn't mean we're going to get through it without any, you know, bruises or cuts, but that we can trust knowing that we will be, you know, really where we're supposed to be if we trust in God. That to me is the big lesson yeah. with their story. It really is. Look, I so this this is probably going to sound odd, but this is my, my takeaway from that conversation, Billy, is that God is funny. I mean, what a crazy story, particularly how they got to the United States with flight tickets from Carmen. That was my favorite after, part, by the way. That's a little, a little savage that they were like. Right, little. like after this agreement completely falls through. But isn't God just has, he has the best sense of humor. Because I mean, he created humor. All of us, the comedians and whatever who say funny things, all of that originated with God. And I just think, man, you can't, we can't ignore the fact that God is hilarious in the way that he weaves things together for his good. And obviously they didn't, there was no bad blood ultimately between them, uh, like Helen said, but to see the way that God provides in the most inexplicable, unexpected ways uh, is just, um, man, looking back, it's like, wow, I can really see God's provision uh, and and can see his faithfulness now in retrospect. And it's just a, it's an awesome story. All oh, around. 110%. And I'm glad we had a chance to sit down with her and talk with her. And gosh, I'd love to have her back again with her kids. That'd be a fun, that'd be yeah, a fun interview. Absolutely. We should try to make that happen. We really should. Yeah. It's like the, a, a Christian Von Trapp family, have them all on. <laughs> Uh, Well, with that, we are at the end of our Prodigal Stories podcast today. Guys, tune in every week. Make sure you're subscribing, you're liking the show, you're, you know, letting your friends know about it, but definitely give us a five-star review. Um, If you don't have a positive thing to say, don't say anything at all, right, Trey? I mean, that's kind of like my (laughs) thing, but if you love us, go and rate us, right? All right. Well, with that said, we will see you next week for another episode of the Prodigal Stories podcast.